Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Cheryl Smith, and um, I just wanted to make a few announcements. Um, first of all, Malcolm is having knee replacement surgery in the morning. We have to be there at 530 um, at a hospital in San Antonio. So I wanted all of you to pray for him, and I'm sure God is going to make him dance again. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. But I also asked Malcolm to talk to you this morning because we are so excited about our retreat that will be December 2nd through the 4th. And uh, we need you to go on the website and register. And also, uh, it'll be at the Doubletree Hotel Airport in San Antonio. It's going to be a beautiful time. We're celebrating 70 years of ministry. So I have Saturday night and I am full of surprises. It's going to be exciting. Come and help us celebrate and love on Malcolm and me. (laughs) We want to love on y'all. So God bless you. So good morning, and good morning especially to the visitors here. Um, the The message I want to bring this morning is number four. Uh, we've been on this for three weeks. It, it started out as one message, and I keep on saying this is it. But, um, well, this might be it, Um but we've been kind of playing with this text for the last three weeks. So now I want to really look into it. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. And don't be offended by what I'm going to say this morning. Um, because this all started with me making an off-the-cuff statement It was not part of my notes, nor part of anything. I just said that if you say that Christianity and the gospel is go to heaven when you die, then you've totally missed it. And that brought a lot of um, queries, to say the least. Um, And then I went so far as to say heaven is not a place, and that really upset people. But um, And I'm not trying to upset people. I'm trying to bring us back to what the New Testament means by the gospel. And where we stand in the West, the Western world, Europe and America especially, um, we have completely lost sight of the gospel. It's no longer a wonder. It doesn't leave you speechless. It's more like signing up for an insurance program, and um, which makes it very legalistic. It's a matter of do this, don't do that, and you'll make it, hopefully, to this place called heaven. And um, very, I will say this very, now this I am deliberate. That is not the gospel. And fortunately, our salvation depends on the Father coming to us in the Son. So if you thought that was the gospel for the last 30 years, well, that's okay. God still loves you, and he's working in your life, his plan. But I, I want to underscore it this morning, really get down to what I've been trying to say for the last three weeks. 
And those of you that are here for the first time, it's okay. The message stands on its own two feet. And you don't have to be here for the last weeks. So let's read it. But please hear what it's saying. It says in Matthew 11 and in verse 25, At that time Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and the intelligent, which really translates as the know-it-alls, um, <laughs> pride. You've, 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 you're not going to gain this by getting a degree in theology. It's not a whole list of things that you know about. This is the Holy Spirit dealing with the very heart at a very different level. And you've revealed them, he said, to babes, uh, babies. So this means that what we're looking at right now is Salvation 101. He is saying, what I'm about to share is for those who are babes, those that have just begun, those that feel they know nothing. And he said, this is what I'm saying to you. So he said, yes, Father, thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is so easy, my load is light. As I said, we've been pecking at that, but now look at it. Salvation 101. And it begins with these, and I'll say it now, cryptic sayings of Jesus concerning his relationship to the Father. Now, we've gotten used to saying God, but the New Testament does not say God. It says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For our God revealed to us in and through Jesus it is not a singular. It's not what would be called a monad, um, a single God out in space looking at himself for all eternity. And no, we have... Our God is the ultimate family. Our God is three, but so in love, shall I say, the Father loves the Son to such a degree that he places himself inside the Son, and the Son responds in the Father, and yet he never loses his identity. And so the Father is the Father, the Son is the Son, yet they are bound together with this love that is 101% giving oneself away. And the Holy Spirit, who is the dance of delight in the love of the Father and the Son, and takes delight in showing the Father's glory to the Son and the glory of the Son to the Father. And so it is this, that's our God. That's our God. And therefore we say, God is love. 
not just simply that he has a sort of lovingness about his nature, but he is the very origin. He is the definition. He is the beginning and ending of love, that he gives himself within himself. God is love. And so this passage begins with Jesus um, telling us of the relationship in the Trinity. Now remember, this is salvation 101. My salvation doesn't begin with me feeling bad about myself. (laughs) Salvation begins in the very heart of the Holy Trinity. God is love. And Jesus now, who is God, come to sit down with us at our kitchen table and know, know himself to us, he says, uh, he the Son, who has now become one of us, he says, no one knows the Son, me, except the Father. That is the mystery of God the Son is an open book to the Father. He loves me and he's in me and he knows me from the inside. But then he says, and no one knows the Father except the Son. For the same thing, I am in him and I know him, know him from the inside and I come out from him. A oneness that cannot be penetrated, a union that is seamless where God abides in God. And all of that in the Holy Spirit. And as I said, and I'm not going there, but I did say a couple of weeks ago, that's the most amazing statement in the Bible, that Jesus said, and speaking as the man Christ Jesus, he says, no one knows the Father except me, the Son. Then I'm speechless. You mean, and I seriously say, I go to all the greats of faith in the Old Testament, but they didn't know the Father. I mean, they knew, they knew slivers of light, moments of inspiration, but they didn't know him. And Jesus said, I know him. I come to you out from him, and I know him who is love. It's, this is the relationship that exists in the Holy Trinity. This is what abiding in God looks like. He is coming to us from the this relationship with the Father. And you see, that's where it, it seems strange on the ears of our Western church, because the whole in the Western church we've been told it's about us. We're, we're the sinners, we're going to hell, we need salvation, and we will have joy if Jesus saves us. And some of that might be true, but the the fact is, he said, salvation begins in the God who is love. The Father who knows the Son and the Son who knows the Father all in the Holy Spirit. So I can't, this is what it's saying, and this is, I feel like stopping and, and just saying, let's think about it for three hours, that you cannot understand salvation until you understand the Holy Trinity. And I don't mean being able to write a paper on it. I mean to know in my heart that the center of all existence is love, who gives himself away. That's the meaning of existence. That's what he is all about. And so back to that original statement that I made, um, heaven, heaven must not be understood primarily as a place. 
heaven is the very being of God. When I go to heaven, whatever we mean by that, I'll tell you what happens. I come face to face with Jesus, God the Son, and he is the one who images and brings me to the Father and all in the Holy Spirit without anything between. So heaven becomes a state of being. Heaven heaven is it living in the embrace of the Holy Trinity. Heaven is being with. And now what he's telling me here, heaven is not the end. Heaven is not some place I'm going to. It's some place I came from. Yeah. Do, do you understand? We got this twisted. We think, you know, we, we do this, we do that, we do the other, we go to heaven when we die. Jesus said, let me give you salvation 101. Yeah. This began in heaven. This began inside the love of the Father, the love of the Son in the Holy Spirit. This is where it all begins. And we are sitting here this morning, having come out from, birthed out of, the God who is love. Okay. So, Jesus is God, the Son, which doesn't make him less than the Father. He is co-equal to the Father. He's everything the Father is. He is the fullest expression of the Father. He said, if you see me, you see the Father. Don't think of the Father as the monster hiding behind Jesus, ready to get you. No, the Father is everything you see in the face of Jesus. He is God, and then became human. Now, how many times have I said that, or we've said that, I still get goosebumps when I say it. God became human. The creator of all that is became a minuscule creature. And as I said, could sit down and have coffee with us and you wouldn't even know who he is. Because he lived with his neighbors in Nazareth for 30 years. And at the end of 30 years, they were ready to kill him for blasphemy because he said he was Messiah. They didn't, for 30 years, he'd made their fences and their doors and repaired their windows as the carpenter, and they didn't know him. He was so really man. And then he said, I and the only one in all of time-space history who knows the Father. God became one of us to look us in the eye and tell us who God really is. We would never have imagined it. God came from God to tell us what God is like. But also if he tells us what God is like, he tells us what we are supposed to be how we were created to be. He said, look at me. I revealed the Father, but also I reveal you. Because here am I, a genuine human, but filled with the fullness of God. That's what you were made for. You're wired for that. And of course, they hated him for it, crucified him because of it. Because mankind neither can comprehend that nor want it but you're wired for it. That, that's, that's our creation. And he said, I've come to take you to the Father. Notice he never once said, I'll take you to heaven. Never, never, never. He said, I'll take you to the Father. 
I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Take us to the Father. To know the Father as he knows the Father. To be in the same joy that he dwells in. To take us into, which is actually said, the peace of God that passes all human comprehension. Jesus summed this up later on in John chapter 17 as the success of his ministry. He said, Father, I've told them who you are. That's what I came to do. I, I came to show who you are, and I've done it, and I'm coming home now. He said, I have done it. I have revealed to them your name, which in plain English means your essential self. I've told them who you are. And these 12 around me, they've believed me and they know who you are. And now I'm praying for those that are going to believe because of what they say. And they will know who you are. It's the whole point of it, you see. What is eternal life? Are we going to live forever? No, not live forever. That's not the meaning of the term. In John 17, same thing, in verse 3, it says, this is eternal life. Definition, you see. He's telling us, this is eternal life. What is it? That you're going to live forever? No, you will. That's a PS. But um, eternal life is that they might know you, Father, and also know me. That's eternal life. So that ties in with what he's just said. I know the Father. The Father knows me. And when you get eternal life, you'll know him too. And that's why I came. That, he said, is his ministry. But right after that in John 17, he spills it right out. And we we talked about this last week. He said, "Uh, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. What are they going to believe? That you're just going to live forever and do something? No. That they, and they's you, we, we's they, they, they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us. That's plain, plain language. He said that, that's what it means to believe, that you realize the Father is in me, Jesus the Son. I'm in the Father, and I came to get you. Now you're in me, which means you're in us. Think about that. Then he said, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Why? Well, what's the glory of God? The glory of God is this union that they, us, that they may be one just as we are one. I, Jesus, I in them and You, Father, in me, which means if they're in me, then Father's in. And may know that you sent me, and you, Father, loved them, even as you have loved me. 
So God the Father loves you and has always loved you as he loves the Son. And the Son loves you even as he loves the Father. And that's who you are. And Jesus came to open your eyes and pull you into the embrace of the Father who sent him to get you. That's Salvation 101. As he said, and that's what it's about. And now he, in this, he goes on to describe that as rest. See, come unto me and I will give you rest. It's not an isolated text. It's linked, it's hooked on to that, what we've just been talking about. And so this relationship in the Holy Trinity that we are called to be in is called knowing. He said, I, I know the Father. Now, this is not knowing about. And in today's world, they really don't know the difference. But knowing about, let me put it this way, knowing about something has an end. It's a terminus. I, I, I'm going to take a course. Why do you take the course? Because I don't know about that subject. But after 12 weeks, they give me a certificate. I know about it now. That's it. Over, closed. Put it on the shelf. I need that one day. That's knowing about something. It's an item of knowledge that you've now studied, finished, done, put it in the filing cabinet for when I need it. Knowing is an entirely different issue. The word knowing, even in English, but certainly in the languages of the Bible, it means intimate. So intimate is the word throughout the entire Bible used to describe marriage. The intimacy of marriage. It means a personal knowledge in that the knowledge belongs to you. I know. It, it means I've touched, I've felt, I've seen, I've heard, I know. And yet at the same time, just like the Holy Trinity, I don't lose myself in it. As the Father puts himself inside the Son, but he never becomes the Son. The Son doesn't lose himself. The Son is the Son, the Father is the Father, but they're one. Well, it's the same, this, this knowledge. It, it, it says it in terms of defining marriage. It says, the two shall become one flesh. It doesn't mean that the wife disappears into the husband. It means there are two, but they are one in this bond of love. So it's union without loss of person. It's a mutual in. As he said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. And knowing is that in. I'm not, it's not exterior. I don't stand outside, I know about that. It means I'm in the middle of it, experiencing it now. It's also the meaning of the word abide, which is used a lot in the New Testament. Abide means remaining continually in a seamless union. So to know a person is to be on a journey into the very depths of who they are. 
You, you can't know this in 24 hours. You know, you, you know the journey as the journey unfolds. You know perfectly that part of the journey, but it goes on. I'm coming to know the person. A- and that means it's a, an unending discovery into the mystery of the person. You all are a beautiful mystery. You know, I I could see your photograph and say, I I know that person. But it would take me a lifetime to know you because you are are an adventure unfolding. You, You are the mystery of love being seen. That's knowing, okay? Very different from taking a course. And when Jesus spoke of this union of the Father and Son in John chapter 1, he used another expression. He said, face to face. Remember, in our Bibles, it says the word, Jesus, the word was with God. And that word with in the Greek language means face to face. Now, face to face, you can say that quickly. But face to face means also eye to eye which means then there's no shame. Eye to eye means no secrets. I can look you straight in the eye. We even have that expression in in English. Look you in the eye. It it means um, a trust. I look you in the eye and I trust you. Um, Eye to eye, face to face. One translation of that is cheek to cheek. It, It is a union of love. It's an intimate union where I'm, I'm bed. In fact, there's a real suggestion. That's what Genesis 2 means, that they were naked and not ashamed. That means my very soul is bared to you face to face. I've got no secrets. I'm not ashamed in your presence. Huh. That's eternal life. Amen. That's eternal life. Amen. God the Son face-to-face with the Father, knowing the Father, says, we just quoted it, that's eternal life. So if I'm going to have eternal life, I've got to end up there. And when I say end up, I don't mean when I die. I mean, that's where I'm headed. And I'm, I'm every step of the journey, I'm there. It isn't that I'm getting there, I'm there but I'm discovering the depth of it more and more every day. So I'm going, but I'm going where I am because I am. Does that make sense? I said that pretty quickly. Um, And I've got to emphasize the one who said this. Now, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. The one who said this was man. And I don't mean masculine, I mean human, mankind. The one we've sort of been talking about is the unbeginning God, God the Son. The unbeginning God began in a manger in Bethlehem. God who had no beginning became man and he became man and he didn't use his godness as an advantage 
he became man where we are. And he faced life as we face it. Genuine man. Who, who, when he was building his carpenter's shop, he would hit his finger with the hammer, get a splinter in his hand from the wood. A genuine human being is saying this, um, saying it from where he's at. Because when God became man, he didn't leave the Trinity. The Trinity cannot be broken. Seamless. So when God became man, he brought the Father and the Spirit with him. And he's talking as man, but he's talking from being face to face with the Father. Man is talking of knowing the Father. Man, exactly like us. But exactly like us, is showing us this is what life was always meant to be, face to face with the Father. That's life. That's eternal life. And I've come and I'm man sitting here talking to you about that and saying that's where I live. I live here in the carpenter shop. I live here on the sides of the Galilee. But that's where I live. That's where we started, wasn't it? When John asked him, where do you live? Do you remember that? That was our first text. Where do you live? Lived in the bosom of the Father. He lives face to face with the Father as he's walking around on the streets of the Galilee. But then he said, He says, I have come to give you that knowledge. Please hear me. This is not, this isn't mysticism. This isn't new age. This is the gospel 101. God face to face with the Father. Knowing the Father. Love became one of us and told us I'm the only one who knows what's going on there. I, I, as God, I know the Father. The Father knows me. But I am come to bring you to know what I know. To bring us here and now face to face with the Father. And in the epistles, which very few people read these days, but the epistles of Paul says, we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean except what Jesus is saying here? I've come to bring you where I am. Now. And so, that, have I said it? That that relationship within the Holy Trinity, God has become man. And now a man is living out that relationship and saying, I've come to rescue you. I've come to bring you to the Father. I, I said this has always been the plan. In Ephesians 1, it begins before the foundation of the world. See, if you think Jesus came to fix Adam, 
Well, that's way, way down the line. That's a P.S. The reason Jesus came is in Ephesians 1, where it says that before the foundation of the world, one translation could well be before the fall of the world, before there was a world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love demanded, love reaches out. Love demanded, well, not demanded, love willed to create, and that create, bringing forth a creature, but a creature that could actually participate in their love. And he says it was done, finished before the foundation of the world, that you all as creatures would be adopted into the Holy Trinity family. And you'd be adopted and called sons and daughters of God. Jesus now comes to achieve that. Oh, no, we've got to deal with sin. Because man royally screwed up and replaced his meaning of existence. We'll deal with that. But in dealing with it, it's in order to get to this. This is what we're after. So... You say, Jesus came to deal with sin. You're right. But if you put a period there, you're wrong. He came to deal with sin in order to bring us home to the Father where we would be welcomed as sons and daughters of his holy family. That's what he's saying. What what does knowing the Father... Now, okay, we've got a slightly different situation because I've talked of God knowing God within the Holy Trinity. But now we're talking about one of us, man. But because he's God incarnate, he's God become man, and he never left the Trinity. So what does that mean? There was a change in the Holy Trinity. Up until the Gospels begin... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. But now, God the Son has become, become one of us. And as and because he is one of us, without ceasing to be God, he carries us into the Holy Trinity. And a human being who was born is now face to face with the Father. That's never happened before. It was always the plan, but it's never happened. So what does knowing the Father look like when the knower is a human being? It means... I tell you, when when Jesus is there, he knows. He knows, that word again, that he's the beloved son. Never a doubt. Never an if. I know. His father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he spoke that to the man, Jesus. He knows that he's the apple of his father's eye. His father delights in him. He knows that. 
he has the absolute, unshakable assurance that he belongs. He's home in the Father. Loved as a part of the Holy Trinity family. Has no doubts. He doesn't shift uneasily beside the Father, looking at the Father's face to see if he's still smiling. He doesn't wonder if the Father is going to keep on accepting him. Did he pray enough? Did he read his Bible enough? He just knows I is beloved of the Father. That I'm in the assurance. And all of that with this total joy that has nothing to do with happiness. Joy that just rises within the heart of the Holy Trinity. Nothing to do with happenings, like happiness, but to do with the fact that I am one with the Father. Total peace, as I said before. But that means, okay, negative of that. Makes more sense to some of us. That means he he knows no anxiety. How could you how could you be anxious if all this is true? It means there is no fear because it says in the scripture there is no fear in love. There's no worry. He says the the, the Gentiles are worrying all over the place. What should we eat? What should we drink? Where should we wear? He says. Credit. He said, and all he said about that, the great answer of the greatest counselor was, Father knows. I said, don't have to go any further than that. Of course not. He's speaking from face to face with the Father. He's in the love of the Father. He knows it. He's assured of it. He never doubts it. Therefore, Father knows. And of course, in that love, that love's in him as well as he's in that love. So he never bears a grudge. He never is bitter. When they would torture God and kill him, his only response was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's eternal life. The world today, the Christian world today, puts everything in the future. You've got to die to get it. The, The New Testament hardly knows about that, hardly mentions it, because everything's now. And do you realize, at this moment, every person here and there on Zoom, every one of you are here in Christ, face to face with the Father. That is so. Our trouble, our trouble is we're blind as bats. And, and, and we've got our eyes on what religion has taught us, which is you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do, and maybe then perhaps you might catch that for a day in a revival meeting. No, that's our abode. Uh, where he lives, we live. That's what he said. This is, this is I say, Salvation 101. But, you know, it's, I I don't say it lightly. I remember when I was 
part of a major denomination, and, and that was one of their favorite things. Do you know the Lord? Oh, yeah, I know the Lord. <laughs> yeah, and I know what I know what they mean, and I thank God for them. They were great when I was in the nursery, but well, no, it's it's true. I'm not. That's not a put down. But I've come to realize, watch it, when you, when you, do you know the Lord? This is so massive. This is so beyond words. The best I can say is, I, I'm knowing the Lord. I'm, I'm yeah. beginning to know yeah. him. Yeah. My eyes are beginning to be open to see who he is. And I'm saying that after 70 years of ministry. And I mean it. I mean it. We're seeing. We're like kittens who are born with their eyes closed. You know, we're... We're in, we're in, but we don't know where we're in. <laughs> and in the Western world, we have been taught such a charade of Christianity that, anyway. Think, think about this. He said he's the only one who knows the Father. Yeah. Speaking as the man, Christ Jesus, who is God in our flesh. He said, I am the only one who knows the Father. That means if you're going to get this knowledge of the Father, he's the only source. If he's the only one on the planet in history who knows the Father, then I have got to go to him to find it. Because it means the knowledge he has of the Father is unique. Do, do we understand that? That's it's unique. He said, I'm the only one. Which means that he owns it. Do, do you know what I mean? If he's the only one who has this most precious knowledge, he's the only one who has it. And he owns it. So that means he can't give it away. Or then he wouldn't have it. Do, do you follow me? So he alone has the knowledge which means he owns it, which means he cannot give it away, which means the only way I'm going to know it is by union with him. Yes. I've got to get inside of him yeah. and he inside of me to know what he knows. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the astounding gospel. Wonder, wonder. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. He is going to share with me the knowledge that God has of God. He's going to share with me his experience of living face to face with the Father. And we read it. He said, I'm going to bring you this rest. And that is rest, that knowledge. Is, but he said, learn of me. He didn't say, say this sinner's prayer and you'll get it. No, he says, learn. We're, we're on a learning curve here. Learn. And he says, learn of me. And, and the Greek word there, of, means out from. 
So he says, learn out from me. So learn. Learn me in my deepest self. Learn where I am. It's not just listing the facts. And I, I don't I don't want to be unkind, but I was speaking in a meeting and, and pastors never really knew what to do with me. Well, no, you know, you're supposed to, I'm not, this, this is the truth. That when, when the pastor's finished speaking, especially if you're the guest speaker, it's immediate. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Who'll be the first? Well, I don't do that. I never have. Because I don't see it in the scripture. And so usually I just say, well, that's it. You know, go home and live it. And the pastors freak out because they've got to close the meeting the way they know how. And um, so immediately I said, I'm done. And they, they start their part. Now we've got to, you know, bring the meeting to a crisis. Every head bowed, lights down, soft music, and make a sound. And, um, and I, I'm thinking of a specific time when the fellow came forward. And you could just see the man was screaming out for some sort of life and joy and peace. He didn't know why he was there. You could just read it. It was. And so the pastor said, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The man didn't even know what that meant. But it's on the list, so we checked that off, checked that off. Say this prayer after me. Everybody clap, clap. Now he's in. And I could sit there and weep because I'm not doubting God's love for the man and what God was doing with that man, but that's not it. Jesus is saying, let us start a journey that is beyond words to describe. Let's start a journey which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, never yet entered into the heart of man, but the Holy Spirit is going to take you there. Step by step by step, you are going to actually participate in the knowledge I have of the Holy Father. You're going to participate in it, which means share, which means become active in it. You're, you're going to join me in this. You could say it's in, in First Peter where it says we're partakers of the divine nature. And partake means it's a word unique to eating and drinking. He says, you're going to actually imbibe. You're going to digest what I know of the Father. It becomes yours. So he didn't give it away. He said, it's in me. So when we're united, it becomes yours as well as mine. So it's not fiction. We're not saying this is something that happens up in the heavens. and This happens right in you. We partake, becomes ours. We are actually adopted into the Holy Trinity family in union with Christ, face to face with the Father in the Holy Spirit. And if we're adopted into the family, well, we participate... We become active. Become active in the 
desires and goals of the family. We're real. We're, we're in the family. So we share the desires of the family. Which means we become one with the goals of the Father who is the lover of all mankind. It means that we partake of the love nature of God through the Holy Spirit. Or to put it in another way, as God took, partook, participated of our nature, which exalted us to the heavens, we now partake of his. And when he partook of ours, he never ceased to be God. He just took and really took because he's still the man, Christ Jesus, at the right hand of the Father. Still. So he really took our nature. And he really participated in our life and was tempted in every way. Like us. Really. Okay, now you really partake and participate in his divine nature. If that isn't true, then what on earth does sons and daughters of God mean? If I call my dog a son, I need psychiatric help. Um, A son is someone that you share your nature with. I don't become God. Jesus became us, but never ceased to be God. We become him and never cease to be human. So I am experiencing all that Jesus is by grace. Sheer gift. He is himself by nature. I am him by grace. Well, what what does the word, you, you must have read it, it's in, especially in Timothy, Timothy and Titus, where it speaks about godly living. Well, what does that mean? Stop saying things so fast. Stop and ask, what does that mean? Godly. Godly means just like God. Godly, just like God. Jesus said, that you are gods. What does that mean? That you become God? No, no, no. It means that you are, and we can hardly dare say it, but we are gods by grace. It's not by nature, it's by grace. That you have been exalted to where you can hardly find words to define it. You've been put in a place where I can never imagine where I'm at. And it's all the gift of God. And all we can do is wonder, speechless. He said, learn of me. Another way of saying that is be my apprentice. Which means there's a difference, you see. In today's world, if you say learn of me, you're signing up for a college course. People talk about you're in a classroom with Jesus. No, you're not. You're an apprentice which means you're right there with him, working with him. What he does, you do. You learn how to do it his way. Yeah. Well, who are these people? 
that receive this incredible grace of knowing. Because remember, he owns the knowledge. You can't... <laughs> if he owns the knowledge, you, ca you can't earn it. No, it's not for sale. He owns it, period, not for sale. So then it must be given. So who are those who share this secret? Right in the next verse he tells us, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What I've been talking about. Huh, that's interesting. Weary. It's a big word. It means to be worn out from toil. It means work with great effort and strain until you just drop your exhausted labor. All your strength has been depleted and drained out of you. But it's very interesting that that's the sort of exterior of the word. The heart of the word means that you have been beaten by somebody who wants to control you and to the point where you're so weak you can't do anything. Now that's interesting. Jesus said, are you so worn out, exhausted by religion that has beaten you into being under your control, under their control? You will do as we say. And here you sit, week after week, and you've been beaten up and you're wiped out. He said, I came for you. Heavy laden. Um, it's interesting. I was talking to Clint last Thursday, and, and he said that that word is used, heavy laden, means the lading of a ship. It's the cargo on a ship. It means the ship now is burdened down in the water. It's carrying heavy cargo. Wow. In today's language, we might say you've got a lot of baggage. You're carrying a lot of cargo. All the way from your past, broken relations, unmet expectations, faded dreams... And certainly in this context, your utter failure to do everything religion tells you to do. Jesus said, if you know weariness, if you know the crushing baggage that brings you to helplessness, you are ready for what I'm saying. If you don't know it, you won't even hear what I'm saying. See, the Pharisees did not know that they were weary. <laughs> That's weird, but it's true. They thought their weariness of trying to keep the law was life. And that's what they expected. They didn't see it as a negative. They groaned under the laws that they'd made up. But they didn't know it. 
You see, when light shines into your heart, the first thing that light does is show you what darkness is. Because you didn't know what darkness was. You thought it was normal. And so the first thing light does identifies the darkness. And once you've seen the darkness, now I know what light is. And once I know what light is, I don't want the darkness. If you know you're weary, if you know you're heavy laden, then here's the answer. You see the light, and the light is Christ, who is face to face with the Father. And he says, I give you rest, which is another word for the knowing. What what is rest? That you're tired out? No, no, you, you were. That's what religion does to you. God's rest is not tired out. God's rest is more like a painter who has painted his canvas and he knows one more stroke of the brush will destroy the painting. The last stroke I made brought the painting to perfection. Nothing more can be done. Nothing can be added. He's not weary. He's excited. He's done it. He's done it. He's produced the painting and he rests in satisfaction. It is finished. That's the meaning of this word, rest. It's the same thing with a book, which I can relate to. That you write it and you write it and you write it and you throw stuff away and you write more and you throw stuff away and you write and you write. And then you know one more word, you'll destroy the book. It's finished. The end. Done. And there's a great rest. You can celebrate. It's a rest. I don't have to tell you. I will give you rest came to its conclusion when Jesus cried with a loud voice, it is finished. That's the rest of God. This is rest. My sheep hear my voice. I know. That's my shepherd's voice. No, no doubt. No discussion. I know my shepherd's voice. I've told you before, I think, um, that verse came alive to me in Jerusalem when there were five flocks of sheep. I don't Sheep, 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 sheep. And I knew there were five because there were five shepherds who were just hanging out with each other, visiting. And then one was going to leave. And so he left. And as he left the group of the shepherds, he began calling out the names of the sheep. That's crazy to us here in the West, but every sheep in Israel has a name, pet name, same like a dog. And he called out the name, one. I mean, that was new, as I say, probably a hundred sheep. And you saw the sheep. They were all with the others, but they heard the voice of their shepherd calling their name, and they're pushing their way through the flock to get after their shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They, they know my voice. You you know your home. You know his voice. That's rest. He said, come. Come. 
That's a gentle way, isn't it? Come. It's not like, get over here. No, 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 no. God never threatens you. He's incapable of threatening you because he loves you. And loves his come. Come to me. Come to me. There's no harsh commands. No threats. No scaring you. Come. Because that come sounded easy when he said it. But that means I've got to leave where I am. If I say to Andrew, come, it means he's got to get off that seat and come over here. So, come, leave where you are. If you're going to leave where you are, better trust who's saying come. Because this is going to royally upset my life. Trust. Do you remember last week we talked about the yoke of the Pharisees? When you became a Pharisee, you took, publicly, vocally, you took the yoke of the law, that you are now yoked to the law. But Jesus was addressing those people who were weary with that yoke. He says, come to me. Take my yoke. For my yoke is easy, it's kind, it's gentle. It's not going to make you weary. So it means I've got to throw down the yoke of the Pharisee and come and be yoked to Jesus inside yoking. Come, he said. It's a command, but it's an invitation and it's laced with joy. It's the shepherd finding his sheep, remember? In that parable, when he found the sheep, he rejoiced. And he couldn't stop. So when he got home, he still says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep. That's this come. The come of Jesus is always laced with with joy. The come is when a little child leaps into the arms of the, the parent. Come, come to me. And the little kid jumps into your arms. Come to me, not to an organization. Not after religion has educated you. It's not an appeal to intellect. It's not an appeal to joining a classroom. No, come to me, the person that I meet in the Holy Spirit. Relation. You relate to a person. You love and are loved by a person to friendship that is already established, unbegun, and unending in the Holy Trinity, that is now shared with us. Come, come. Come not to do. I don't have any list of rules. Don't. No, come because it's done. And the come is not a terminus. It's not the end of the road. I did it, I did it, I got religion, and that's it. No. Come to me and learn of me. So this is the this is the beginning, not an end. This is a, an ongoing discovery that is in him. Which means every day I'm in the process of learning. Every day I'm in the process of discovering what knowing him is all about. And and I'm deliberately saying this because in the last three weeks where we've said some of this stuff, um, 
you, you could get very discouraged. Until I saw what I'm saying, I got very discouraged. Because to read this in Scripture, to say it, I, I, want, I want to say, well, that doesn't sound like me right now. No, I'm sure it doesn't. Um, hardly seems like me sometimes. Um, but you see, it's a journey. That's what I meant before. I know the Lord. Well, yes, but that might suggest then you're supposed to be totally like this. No, you know the Lord in an ongoing progressive sense. You know the Lord because you're learning to know the Lord. And so today, you know him perfectly for today. Yeah. You can't get more than you got today. You, today, you know the Lord. Indeed, you do. But I, I can't even tell you what tomorrow holds. Because today, I can't even conceive what knowing him will be like tomorrow. Paul, when he was way on in his life in Christ in Philippians he said oh that I might know him I thought you knew him yeah he's he's known him but do you, do you see see my um, so I'm living today I'll put it this way um, in our garden we have tomatoes and you go out there at a certain time and there's this little tiny green thing but too, that's a perfect tomato, yeah. considering when we put it in the ground. Yeah. And I can't ask any more of that tomato today. Oh. And tomorrow it will be a perfect but bigger. And until it's a luscious red tomato, mm. and it will be perfect. But it was perfect all the way through mm. in its journey of becoming a full-grown tomato. It's, a, it's an adventure that's always unfolding. And it's very real to me. Um, I, I've only been married to Cheryl for a year and a half. And, you know, do, 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 you, do I know Cheryl? Good question. Right? Do you know your spouse? That's a jolly good question. See, I, I, the first time I saw Cheryl, she was on the front row of the meetings I was having in Houston. And the tears were shooting out of her eyes for joy at discovering the love of God or knowing him more. And, and if you'd have said, do you know that lady down on the front row? Yeah, I, I couldn't miss her. <laughs> I mean, she was under my nose. Um, I know who you're talking about. That's as far as I could go. I know who you're talking about. Know her? No. Then, then we were going to set up home meetings across the hill country. She had all the contacts. COVID stopped it. But we began to be friends. I, I found her name was Cheryl. Um, I found out what she liked, what she did, her story, being a prison chaplain. And do I know Cheryl? I, I, I know, I know that lady. 
I know her. Did I know her? Not at all. But do you see what I'm getting at here? And then, of course, we got married. Do you know Cheryl? You bet I know Cheryl. Do I? Uh-oh. <laughs> Every day thereafter is the unwrapping of the mystery called Cheryl. Discovering the love that is in her, discovering her vision, discovering what she wills and longs, desires. When will I know Cheryl? I have no idea. Every day is that ongoing mystery, that ongoing adventure of unwrapping this glorious gift, this human being, to discover who she really is. Fact is, it will never stop. The day it stops, there's no more life left in the relationship. A relationship means that something is growing. And if it isn't growing, it's dying. Without growth, that continual unfolding, the mystery of a person, and you can carry that to friendship or any other relationship you... Without growth, all you've got is a vague memory of how it all began. And also the wondering when it stopped. And the greatest danger is trying to reproduce the first feelings. Life in Christ always begins where you are. He is not into the past at all. The, the greatest verse in the Old Testament for that is in, in Lamentations. It says, new every morning are your loving kindnesses. And I want to talk to him about six weeks ago because six weeks ago, some, he won't talk about it because new every morning. You are knowing him this morning that will deal with six weeks ago. You are knowing him now, which is the beginning of the rest of your life. It's, Amen. So growth is not returning to the past. It's living in the loving kindness that is pouring into me through the Spirit this morning. So we grow in grace and in the knowledge. See, these words are all over the place. We're not getting knowledge. Our eyes are being opened to see the vast, untouched, unlimited limits. Learn of me. Learn out of me. Learn what union is. Learn my relationship to the Father because it's the relationship you have to us. It's not an exterior thing. He's not doing something for you. He's being someone in you. That's relationship. Did, Did you know... The word educate, I mean, that's a plain word we have today, educate. But educate is a Latin word which means to draw out of you that which is there. Did you hear that? Because by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit, I'm educating you this morning. I'm pulling out what's already there. 
I'm not saying you get an addition. I'm not going to see every head bowed and we can't try and get it to you. No, we, I, wake up, wake up, shake, wake up, wake up. This is who you are. This is what is happening. For me to live is Christ. And of course, the religion today has substituted that with, you know, what would Jesus do or try to be like Jesus? Do you realize that straight out of Genesis 3? Try to be like Jesus? What? The serpent said, you shall be as God. You, you, you shall be as God. You. No, you shall be as God, independent of God. Do your thing. What would Jesus do? Thank you, I'll do it. Uh-uh. No, for me to live is Christ. We're not trying to imitate a person remote in history, a person outside of us, or a person we imagine what he's like, whatever religion has taught us. We yield to a, the living person of Jesus who is one with us as a divine human. He is God human. He knows. I don't have to explain how I feel. He just winks at me and says, I've been there. He's a human. Oh, yes. No. Well, I don't know what time. Good grief. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I'll leave it there. Um, I'm not done. Wait till I've had this surgery, and then I'll leap over the moon and come and tell you the rest of this. This is who you are in Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't imagine this salvation. We don't even know how to thank you for it. It's so vast. But we do thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, who are the image of the Father, you brought us this. You came to us when we were lost, and you rescued us, and you brought us to the Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in whom we live, move, and have our being, and open our eyes, and open our heart. Show us the way. Thank you. Into your hands we commit and commend ourselves, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. And amen.